Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, if you will open your ears to hear God's word, you will see that, number one, he knows you. Number two, he loves you. And number three, he comes to you through his word. 1 Samuel 3 gives us the account of God coming to the great prophet Samuel. This, of course, is before he was the great prophet. As a matter of fact, at this point in time, Samuel did not even know God's voice, thus the confusion. But God persisted in coming to him. God knew Samuel even when Samuel didn't know God. God continued to speak a word to Samuel until, as you heard, he finally said, speak for your servant hears. Now, there are presumptuous people who would make themselves prophets, appoint themselves to such a high and lofty position as being a prophet, self-appointed prophets who are false prophets. You don't will yourself to be a prophet. But that's not Samuel. He was quietly, humbly serving in the temple of the Lord, serving and not presuming anything for himself. But God called him, and, and he heard the voice of God. And that voice of God, that God speaking to him, produced the faith that we see in Samuel, the great and mighty prophet, who was established, as the text says, was established as a prophet of the Lord. From Dan to Beersheba, he was established as a prophet of the Lord. Uh, continuing in this theme, Psalm 139 declares that God knows you. Although that's not really strong enough because the way that psalm, what that psalm declares is that God really, really, really knows you. Like better than you know yourself. Like your most innermost thoughts, good, bad, whatever. He knows them. He knows all of your thoughts. He knows the best and he knows the worst version of yourself. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. He follows us even into the mire of death, even to the uttermost parts of depravity in which you, his fallen creature, could reach. He's there. You can't outrun him. That's what this psalm is declaring. We might shudder to think about God knowing our private thoughts, especially the bad ones. Yet, in spite of God seeing us in our worst moments, he loves you. He doesn't smite you. He, he doesn't know your innermost thoughts so he can pick you apart and crush you. He expresses love for each one of you. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Even if you attempt to flee from God, you cannot stop him from loving you. That's not an encouragement to flee from God. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying there are people who have fled from God. They should not ever feel like they've gone too far, that God can't reach them. You shouldn't feel that way about your loved ones, your neighbors, your friends, people that you know from work, whoever it might be. God loves them. Let them know that. It doesn't mean he Proves of sin, of course not. He put that sin on Christ. 
but he loves them. You can't outrun that love of God. All right, now we come to the gospel lesson from John 1. Philip heard the word of Jesus and followed him. The, the follow me. The text does not say that there was any other explanation other than that. But God can work faith through that very, that, that very word that he says, follow me. He worked and produced faith in Philip to follow him by that word. Nathaniel heard the word of Jesus and confessed him to be the son of God, the king of Israel. That might sound like pretty straightforward to us because we know the end of the story, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. But from where he was standing, that is a very bold and stunning confession that Nathaniel made. By the way, Nathaniel is also called Bartholomew. You'll notice that when we sing our, our final hymn, we'll sing verse 23. It's not a 23 stanza hymn, everybody. It's three stanzas. But 23 is in the center because we're singing that stanza for Nathaniel or Bartholomew. In the Synoptic Gospels, he's called Bartholomew. John refers to him as Nathaniel. And none of this is a surprise because it was very common at that time for people to have more than one name. All right. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. How do you know me, Jesus? Indeed, how does Jesus know him? God knows him, right? Oh, God really, really, really knows him. Like he really, really knows us. But how does Jesus know him? Before Jesus, this is how Jesus responded. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now we know from Nathaniel's response that he believed upon hearing this, that he made this confession, this bold confession. Upon hearing that, now it, it, indulge me, because we'll speculate a little bit about what this means to be under the fig tree. There was a... Uh, a practice, if you will, of a student like Nathaniel, a student of scripture, of going to a quiet place to meditate on God's word. Not some sort of Eastern mysticism type meditation, but to reflect on God's word and uh, to ponder that, to ponder our sin uh, and God's grace and mercy and so forth. And uh, so uh, this reference to being under the fig tree would be that would be like the logical place. Under the shade of a fig tree, you would go and find solitude and be able to be at peace and ponder these things. And so when Jesus said, when you are under the fig tree, it, it's, it's like a way of saying, I know you. I saw you and I saw your innermost thoughts. Those things you were thinking about as you sat there meditating upon, upon the word of God, I saw that. Now, whether that is in fact what correct or not, the bottom line is that when Jesus said this to Nathaniel, that word of God spoken to him produced faith in Nathaniel. Brought him to that. And by the way, there's a just a this is kind of a footnote, but there's possible possibly some confusion sometimes when you when you hear this question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And we might read into it some sort of jeering sarcasm or uh, something disparaging of Nazareth. That's not really what he was asking. Treat it like it's a genuine question. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And, and after all, think about this. When you read the Old Testament scriptures, Nazareth is not mentioned as the place where the Messiah would come from. 
Bethlehem, sure. Well, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Well, Jesus had fled to Egypt, and he came up out of Egypt. Of course, Jerusalem is a prominent place. So all of those places you might think about, but Nazareth is not something that's really even mentioned. So it's a logical question to say, you know, I've been searching and, and, and waiting anxiously for the Messiah to come, especially if they were pupils of John the Baptist, which they very well may have been. Then they're looking for the Messiah to come, but they're not looking at Nazareth. But that's understandable. It's nothing bad about Nazareth. It's just that Nazareth is not really mentioned as a, as a uh, you know, figuring prominently in that. So... Um, so anyway, I, I wouldn't take that as a question disparaging Nazareth. But what does this all mean to be known anyway? What does it mean to be known? It, it uh, makes me think of the show Cheers and the uh, uh, theme song to that. Have you all seen Cheers? Do you remember that? Sometimes you want to go where everyone, everybody knows your name. I won't sing it again. I did that a couple weeks ago. People <laughs> laughed at me, so... But yeah, sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And uh, there's comfort in being around people who know you. They know your likes, your dislikes, your fears, your frustrations. They know your history. If they love you, especially, I mean, it's not comfortable to be around people who despise you and know you. (laughs) Because that would be Satan, the accuser. He could bring out all the worst. But on the other hand, to be around someone who loves you, It's comforting to be around people who love you and know you because they know what to say. They know what not to say. Now, do they do it perfectly? Of course not. Of course not. I remember many times where I said exactly the thing I knew would get my brother all riled up so he'd get in trouble. And I might have been the victim of that also. And see, I see you smirking over there. See, he knows, not you, your brother, he knows that he has done that. Yeah. So we don't always use this for good. But that takes us to the one who does use this for good. The one who does know us for our own good. Think about what that means. For the creator of the universe, the all-powerful God, to know you and to love you. You have to put those together because... You can be an all-powerful God who just crushes a person, you know? And if that's what God is doing, then we're all lost. That's not the true God. That's not God. He knows you and he loves you. Even in the midst of your sin, he loves you. He calls you to repent of your sin and to return to him, but he even grants repentance to you. It's not like you can will yourself to faith. It's not like you can will yourself to repent. You you can't, but God does that. And he does that through his word. As we see, he did this with Nathaniel, with Samuel, uh, with uh, Philip. They were called by his word and he produced faith in them through that very word. When you think about God knowing you, think about this. He knows your sinful flesh. He knows your propensity to sin. So he gives you his word for correction and admonition. He knows that you have sinned, that you fall short of the glory of God. So he has taken your sin 
and put it on Jesus Christ, who has atoned propitiation, the propitiation for all of your sins because they have been put on Christ. He knows, God knows that you need him. So he comes to you through ordinary means, through the bread and the wine, his very body and his blood, which you receive in the sacrament. God knows that you need that, so he gives that to you. God knows that you need faith and that you you can't muster up faith on your own. So he comes to you through the word, the word which produces faith, a faith that apprehends God's grace and receives it and says, you know, it seems crazy that I do all the sinning and he does all the forgiving. But that's the truth of it. Comes to you in your baptism and works faith and washes you with water and the word. It's not just a water washing. It is a washing of water in the word, doing what he says he does, which is forgiving you of all of your sins. So, my beloved, through the word you know God, through the word you have faith, you've been given faith, know that you are known by God and know that you are loved by God. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.